Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sculpture Life Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Katona, health and wellness coach and the founder of Sculpture Life, an all-encompassing holistic coaching platform dedicated to sculpting you from the inside out. This podcast features experts, authors, and thought leaders ranging from all things lifestyle-related, health and wellness, relationships, and business to provide you with valuable and practical takeaways that you can implement into your own life. So let's dive into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Sculpture Life Podcast. In today's episode, I will be joined by my good friend, Iris Serbanescu, to talk all about overcoming imposter syndrome and perfectionism. Imposter syndrome often shows up as this sense of self-doubt that can make a person feel like a fraud, despite evidence suggesting otherwise. And there's ultimately a few different pathways which a person might take to get there. And in our conversation today, Iris will be sharing her experience and struggles with imposter syndrome and perfectionism, the debilitating effects it had on her life, especially with performance at work. And she will share how to break the cycle and escape the detrimental mindset that contributes to it, as well as the important practices and tools that she's used to help her overcome it. Iris has a decade of experience supporting owner-operated businesses in the luxury, adventure, and tech sectors of the tourism industry. She is an adventure travel enthusiast and champion for gender equity in the tourism industry. As proud founder of Women's Work, the tourism industry's first global virtual business accelerator for women and non-binary early-stage entrepreneurs. She is also the founder of B2B Sales Agency by Iris, established to help experiential tour operators and hotels develop meaningful industry partnerships. By Iris's portfolio of clients includes sustainably focused tour operators and boutique hotels in Southeast Asia, Mexico, and Canada. Earlier in her career, Iris held managerial and director level positions before she started her own business in 2021. She is a huge fan of mindset work and has been working with a mindset coach over the last two years, which has totally transformed her life for the better and helped her uncover blocks that were stopping her from living her most embodied life. It is my pleasure to welcome my beautiful and inspiring friend, Iris, onto the Sculpture Life podcast. Hello. Oh, hi, Steph. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. This is awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. How's the Spain life going? Oh, Barcelona life is treating me well. I go to the beach every day, which is really good for grounding and just like feeling connected to yourself. There's this, I just love being in nature. You know, I really, I find as like the busier I get, I really need that to just slow things down and connect back to myself. Um, I can't really do that so well in a city. And I've lived in just a big city for my entire life. So being here where there's like the beach and the mountains and and the city, it's been unbelievable. So yeah, I'm here for a year and I've only I'm only on week three right now and so much has happened. So I can't wait to see how the rest of it's gonna unfold. But it's really cool to be living that expat life, which I know you're really familiar with too. Yes. And I, I've only been to Barcelona once. I think I told you like f- five years ago. And I really, really vibe with the city as well. I like that there's so much to do. Like you're in front, you have the beach there. I didn't realize, is there a lot of nature and hiking that you can do? 
I didn't really do yeah. any of that when I was there. I was just <laughs> probably like partying. partying in the city and going to the beach is what I was doing for the week. But that's what you do in Barcelona. But they do have a really nice mountain range. It's it's also there's a subway, like a metro stop that goes there to oh. the mountains. And it's just it's so it's still in the city. And it's not real mountains. They're like foothills, but they're still, it's beautiful nature, like acres of it. And it's amazing. I did a 15 kilometer hike there this weekend. So that's amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to come visit. Fun facts. You. you have to come visit. It's going to be I amazing. Will for sure. And uh, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to come on today. I know this is also like a pretty vulnerable topic to talk about imposter syndrome and perfectionism because I know it's something that you struggled with for a really long time and it was really debilitating for you. And so I'm really so happy and honored to have you on to, you know, share your story with our listeners. And because I know a lot of people can relate to this, including myself, um, especially when you're changing, I think changing career directions, I think it can definitely come up in many ways. Um, and so I'm very excited to have you on talk about this. And I mean, look at you now, you're running your own business, being the badass that you are. So I'm so proud. And um, yeah, let's get into it. So I guess my first question for you is, you know, can you tell us about what your struggles were with imposter syndrome and perfectionism? And in what ways did it show up for you? Yeah. So you were right when you said this is a vulnerable topic because I've actually never talked about it out loud this publicly before. I mean, you and I have probably talked about it. Um, and if you had had this conversation with me a year ago, I probably would have still been really in the thick of it and not really on the other side and able to see how imposter syndrome manifests in my life. I was still like very much in it a year ago, but now I feel like I've gotten this handle on it that it's, and it's not even like getting a handle on it. It's just seeing it kind of for what it is and not being so worried about it anymore and not being so afraid of it. So I feel like I'm, uh, I'm still sort of, we all deal with self-doubt every day. So like I'm still in it, but I'm um, able to speak to my experience a little bit with a little bit more clarity. So basically I, um, have always been a high achiever. Um, and I think perfectionism and imposter syndrome are really tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, they both stem from feeling not good enough mm -hmm. and they are, they often find like people with perfectionism often do have imposter syndrome. They're just like inextricably linked in a way. And I would say that my perfectionism has been a theme my entire life. Like my tendency towards doing something perfectly. Like I remember my mom telling me when I was 11 years old and she totally meant this, like I'm not blaming my parents, like no shade mm -hmm. to the parents because they were doing their best. But I remember her telling me when I was like shoving newspapers haphazardly into my carrier. I was a, I had a paper route. I was like a paper carrier when I was 11. That was my first job. And I was just like stuffing the flyers and the newspapers really haphazardly and like tossing them to the side. And my mom was like, Iris, if you're not going to do something perfectly, just don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. And I know what she meant was like, just do your best and give it some more effort or thought and don't do it so haphazardly. But what I internalized that to mean was like, if you're not going to be the best at something, then there's no point in doing it. So that's what my like little inner child brain did. Um, and so I started feeling like I couldn't, I started feeling trapped by that paradigm. And I was like, I'm only going to take part in things that I'm really good at. 
So I would try like different hobbies. And if I wasn't the best, I would just abandon them. Mm-hmm. Ballet was one of those things that <clears throat> thankfully I excelled in. And I ended up being a ballet dancer for 10 years. And it was like, it's so funny because ballet is like the most perfectionist hobby or sport you could ever choose like for sure it's so precise there's so much shame about like you know teachers telling you your body's not good enough or this isn't good enough like it's like it's like a breeding ground for perfectionism it's like your legs have to be at the the perfect angle everything has to be like Mm -hmm. perfect like that word is used so much in ballet so it's a toxic it's like it can be a toxic place to grow up and I definitely internalized a lot of that through high school and by the time I got by the time I graduated high school and got to university I just was like I felt paralyzed because I couldn't do anything I I couldn't deal with the potential shame and criticism that came with with learning and growth and not being perfect like I just couldn't deal with like a B on a paper. Like I was like, it, it meant something about me. I mean, it some, means something about me and how I'm not good enough. Um, so I naturally like studied super hard to get straight A's and I really overachieved. And like, and the difference between overachieving or wanting to do a good job for the sake of doing a good job versus wanting to do a good job to avoid shame or criticism. That's the difference between perfectionism and just commitment to excellence. Those are like two different things. That makes sense. So like I was definitely doing things in order to avoid criticism instead of because I really enjoyed them. And like reflecting on this growing up, my parents showed me their love and appreciation for me based on things that I did and things that I achieved and not just because of who I was as a person. So I'm like, my narrative was always like, unless you're really good at something, you're not lovable. Mm -hmm. And of course that's not true because like, that's just, our parents love us anyways, Mm -hmm. but it just so happens that that's how it manifested in my little brain. And I was like, okay, well I'm carrying this narrative throughout. So it was kind of like a multi-pronged approach, I guess, to how I ended up being so trapped by perfectionism. And my imposter syndrome, which also goes hand in hand with perfectionism, didn't show up until for me until later in life, like in my 20s. Um, I didn't really have any imposter syndrome in high school or university. I was just like mm-hmm. getting good grades, you know, doing doing the right things and doing a good job. And But what happened when I left university and like entered the working world was like, all of a sudden I felt like a fraud. And I was like, oh my God, this company has hired me and they think that I'm actually good at this. Mm -hmm. And every single day I have to like work really hard to prove that I'm good at this. And even if I'm, even if I get accolades and people tell me that I'm good at it, I still don't believe them. And I discredit other people's compliments. And I'm just like, oh, well, they're just being nice. I actually am a fraud and someone's going to find out one day that I don't deserve to be here and that I don't actually know what I'm doing. And like that was tied to so much. I made it mean so much about me. Like I made my work mean a lot about me as a person. And that if I wasn't like meeting other people's expectations for the role that there was like, I don't know, just brought up a lot of shame in me. Cause I was like, Oh, well, like they're going to find out that I'm not actually that good. That Like I just pulled a fast one on them in the interview and totally duped them. And they think I'm this person, but actually I'm this person mm-hmm. and they're going to find out. And every day I was just like, so 
terrified that like someone would point out that I actually sucked at my job. And again, the problem wasn't that that was ha- would happen. It was that I made it mean that I was unworthy of love and that right. like brought up a lot of shame. It's interesting, like what you're saying about like going back to the whole just perfectionism and how it manifests, because I think sometimes I think we can be perfectionist in certain areas of our life. Like you were saying, it definitely showed up in performance at work, right? Like for me, I really like when I was young, I think it's interesting that I ended up in a career that's actually focused on aesthetics because when I was really young, and again, so my dad made a comment when I was 10, like after my parents divorced, like I kind of like gained a little bit of weight. I probably went to food like as a coping mechanism, a strategy. And um, he was like, you know, you can't eat the way your friends eat. Like you just can't, you need to, oh my God. you know, like you need, you can't metabolize the way your friends do or like compared me to my best friend. And then I just associated that with, I'm clearly not good enough. And like, unless my body's absolutely perfect, I'll never be worthy of love. And so I like did everything in my power to get like super fit. And like, I remember in high school, like that's when I started the whole fitness journey. And it wasn't coming from a place of like self-love. It was actually coming from a place of like trying to get validation and like that whole perf- I think that's what started that perfection perfectionism with that and then I chose a career that's all focused on the aesthetics and you know getting people in shape and me having to look a certain way and it, and I found that really interesting and it took me a really really long time to unpack a lot of that and then also it showed up in in performance or just like my behavior like in how I show up and having to always feel like perfect and not like allowing myself to feel quote unquote emotional because I remember when I was young my mom used to say like don't embarrass me in public like don't do anything that's going to like you know, make you look out of like, like you're not my child, like just behave perfectly. And so I had a whole thing around that too. And so it's interesting, right? The imposter syndrome, I definitely started feeling a lot of that in this last year, changing careers. Um, well, not changing careers entirely, but transitioning into a new area in my career. And I never, ever experienced imposter syndrome ever. Like when I went into the fitness, into my business as a coach. I never had any of that. I'm like, this is what I want to do. I know I'm good at this. I know this is my path. And now that I'm changing and it's a new territory, I'm like, who am I to talk about? I don't know, like do corporate wellness programs. Like, what do I know? And who am I to like run these things? Like, it's just, it's, it was so interesting to bump up against that this last year. My next question is, well, I think we kind of covered what are some of the signs well, what are some of the signs that you're stuck in an imposter syndrome cycle? Like what were some of the like clear signs for you that you're like, fuck, I'm in this cycle again? So um, the imposter syndrome definitely got the loudest when I started my own um, company, which I thought it wouldn't because I was always like, oh, imposter syndrome is about how other people have this expectation of me and I'm not meeting it. Right. And so I thought if I started my own business, that that would go away. And it actually was the total opposite because I'm like, other people, quote unquote, is just my own inner critic. It has nothing to do with other people. Uh It was only me and my harshest, uh, the harshest critic within me telling me that I wasn't good enough and that like people would find out one day and and like all of this stuff. So, so it really surfaced when I started my own business and um, I like the major sign for me was this feeling the comparison and comparing myself to other people that were 
much more qualified to do what I was doing, much more um, confident. Um, just like I would look at them and be like, well, I can't be successful because they're successful. And in order for me to be successful, I have to be like them. And so like, I can't trust myself to be successful because I'm not like this person. So that was like an, a huge indicator for me of imposter syndrome was comparison and comparing myself to other people. And in terms of how it felt for me, like in my body and some of the signs, it was definitely this, this feeling of um, what's the opposite of expansion? Constriction. It was like Contracted, constrict feeling contracted. Yeah. Like contracted in my throat, in my chest, mm -hmm. this feeling of like, like basically I keep using the word shame, but it is, it, it, it is shame. It's shame is an emotion. I'm learning a lot about it through Jody Larry's course, which you're also taking. Yes. Death. And it's like shame shows up in our life and we don't actually want to acknowledge it or talk about it, but that's when it has the biggest hold on us. So for me, like now understanding the actual manifestation of shame in my body that's what's happening for me when I have imposter syndrome because I'm like comparing mm -hmm. myself and then I'm like, you're not good enough. You're not like this person. And my whole system just starts to shrink inwards, like my throat and my chest get tight. And mm -hmm. I just feel completely out of the moment. Like I'm like in comparison mode, I'm judging myself really harshly. It's like, for me, imposter syndrome is more of a in the moment feeling Mm -hmm. And less of a like overall, like overall, it's like, I know I'm going to be successful mm -hmm. in my business and in my life. But in the moment, I feel like an imposter and that's what I have to deal with. Yeah, I think, I mean, actually, now that I'm thinking back, I, I think that's exactly what was happening to me, like in the last three, four months when I was making these changes in my business. And I remember I would like go to the, my coaches that I've worked with. Are you sure I can do this? Or I'm, I, don't, I don't know, I'm having doubts. Like, I don't know if I'm qualified or if I have the, enough certifications to do this. And then I would just start to be like, you know, just start panicking and, and just going into my, into this massive, like shame, like sh basically shame spiral for like three months and like unable to actually make a move to actually like step to start building the program or to start putting things into action. So I guess that's a manifest that is a manifestation of it. Totally. Exactly. Or trying to like find different weight or like signing up for like random certifications that you think you need, like you know, <laughs> which is so not true. Exactly. Like we don't need any of that. We just need to change our beliefs about ourselves. We don't need qualifications. We or we don't, you know, like there are some things where you would do well yeah. to have a qualification, <clears throat> but you don't need those things in order to feel accomplished. And the other thing about imposter syndrome I'll say is that even when you do get the qualifications, there's what it like how it manifested for me was like just this deep intense feeling that I'm not good enough no matter what, no matter how many people tell me I'm doing an amazing job, no matter how many people like love working with me and keep signing up with me as a client, like I just kept discounting it's like a paradigm that you live in where you discount all of the positive reinforcement thinking that people mm -hmm. don't actually know what they're talking about and you're choosing to live in this fear state of like i have to work harder in order to prove that i you know yeah. am worthy because i'm comparing until i become the person that i'm comparing myself to i'm never going to be good enough so it's like it's it's like you can gather all the external stuff but i feel like imposter syndrome is more it's very much more about dealing with the internal narrative. It has honestly nothing to do with the external narrative 100%. or the external environment. 
I mean, all the people in the world can tell you, you're great. Like you're so inspiring. You, you're so cut out for this, but it's like, if you don't actually feel it and you don't believe it yourself, it's not, none of that's going to matter. And so the work is all internal. The next question is like, how did you, how did you work through the imposter syndrome and what were some of the helpful practices that you put into place? Like when that inner critic would come up and tell you, you know, who do you think you are? You know, how did you work through it and quiet that voice? Okay. So this is, uh, I have two answers for this. <clears throat> and one of them is kind of, it, it's not about the individual. So in imposter syndrome and like the the idea of it and the, the quote, quote unquote, imposter syndrome phrase mm-hmm. is, makes it seem like it's a problem with the person experiencing it and not with the system in which they operate. So mm-hmm. what I learned the past year is that we've all been operating in a very patriarchal system mm-hmm. where they, these systems reward confidence in male leaders. Mm-hmm. They reward um, confidence looking a certain way. And I'll read the exact quote from the Harvard Business Review. The same systems that reward confidence in male leaders, even if they're incompetent, punish white women for lacking confidence, women of color for showing too much of it, and all women for demonstrating it in a way that's deemed unacceptable. These biases are insidious and complex and stem from narrow definitions of acceptable behavior drawn from white male models of leadership. I mean... (laughs) So like mic drop. Yeah. Like I just realized how much of this is actually... It's a product of how the system in which I operated the last 20 years in my career. Yeah. um, Like I'm a product of looking around and seeing that we... I'm supposed to act as confident as a man and I'm supposed to be like this and like that. And that these models are actually created by men for Mm -hmm. men and not for women to succeed. So when I started like deconstructing that and being like, Oh, no wonder 85% of women suffer, suffer from imposter syndrome. Right. It's like, no shit. We're going to have self doubt. If we're told that we're supposed to look and act a certain way, that's modeled by the opposite gender. I mean, it's a systemic issue. Really? Exactly. It was like, exactly. So when I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, this isn't so much about me. It's also about the society in which I operate. And I can't make myself feel that bad if this is the case, if we're all struggling with this. So depersonalizing it. Sorry, go ahead. No, because you worked in an industry that was very male dominated. Like you were, well, you're the director of partnerships, right? At, at Tour Radar, but were amongst your colleagues and coworkers, like how many were women? Yeah, like the general stat is that in the tourism industry, 55% of the workforce is made up of women, but less than 8% of executive positions are held by women. So when you look at the amount, like 92% of the money and power in the travel industry lie with men. So of course, looking around, I don't have role models that I can look up to that, that can show me a different way of leadership, like can show me the, the way that we can bring our whole selves to work and be accepted. Like Mm -hmm. exactly. I didn't have that in the industry. And that's why I created women's work. My my accelerator program. So inspiring, honestly. So, okay. So you you realize it's a systemic issue. And so how did you work through... So when you deconstructed that, you realize, okay, like 
you know, I can't be so hard on myself about obviously, you know, a lot of us probably experience imposter syndrome. So what were some of the the core practices and things that you put in place when those feelings of imposter syndrome would kind of start to take over? Um, it was really, I was really intentional about mm-hmm. going inside when those feelings came up and soothing my inner child and just being like, yeah, it's okay that you feel this way. It's okay that you think this, this makes total sense that you think this about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you that this isn't true. And that, you know, and I would give myself some words of encouragement and just like, it was actually that simple, just right. acknowledging what my inner child was trying to tell me and going straight to the source and soothing it. And this is another thing I learned through this um, course with Jody Larry, who teaches the Brene Brown curriculum on dealing with shame, because um, it does really stem from that, as we've mentioned. Um, so it really became about soothing my inner child, soothing the critic, like trying to hear what the critic was trying to say, my internal critic. It's like, what are you trying to tell me? And how can I help you from not like, how can I help you stop working so hard to, to like get me in line and tell me that I'm good and like, tell me I'm not good enough. Like, how can I get you to step back a little bit and like, let me run the show and trust me that I'm going to be okay. So it was a lot of like internal work. It's called parts work. Um, Yes. You told me about that book. Changed my life. It's changing my life. (laughs) Yes. It's so, I love it. Um, It's, it's such a good book and it's, it really changed the way I interacted with myself in my inner world. That's why I'm saying like imposter syndrome is not an external thing because I was getting so much external validation, but I still felt like I wasn't good enough. So yeah, coming in, soothing the inner child and then being mindful that I wasn't making it mean anything about me, right. that I'm not showing up the way that I think I should be showing up. So I took the word should out of my vocabulary and realized that like I am forging my own path and a new way of leadership in the world, like emotional, emotionally led and um, conscious leadership, which is not the way that the patriarchal system was built. Um, so it's scary, like path, but I was every time these thoughts and feelings came up, it was like, it's okay that you're not doing it the way you're male boss would do it you're doing it your own way and just repeatedly telling myself that I'm showing up the way that I'm that I'm meant to be showing up and that it doesn't need to be any other way that was really helpful too those are some really helpful tips I mean honestly like I really do think it is as simple like you said as just connecting with your inner child and soothing the inner child but oftentimes we forget that that simple that simple like tool of just going inward and speaking to the inner child and comforting it, right? So my next, maybe the last question, I probably have more, mm-hmm. but so now that you're, you've started your entrepreneurship journey, you, you launched your businesses, like what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned since you took this leap? And if the perfect, your has your perfection, if, if your perfectionism starts to creep in, how have you managed it? Well, I guess you kind of told me how you managed it, but what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Mm, good question. Um, the biggest lesson I've learned is that people don't want you to show up in a certain way. Mm-hmm. They want you to show up with your whole heart. When you're speaking from the heart, there's nothing more attractive to people in your orbit. And it doesn't matter what's coming out of your mouth. If they can feel that you're being 
genuine, that's all that matters. Because I used to have like, when I started women's work, I used to have like scripts written out of how I would lead some of the calls and the Mm -hmm. coaching calls. And I was like, I got to hit these points and I have to say this. And it was like, that's fine. And it's robotic, but it gets you to a certain point of like feeling confident when you have that script written down. Then I, but then when I started gaining a bit more confidence because I was working with my inner child, I started like riffing and kind of going off script and speaking totally from the heart. And I wouldn't prepare for some of the calls until like 10 minutes before all the points I was supposed to hit. No, it was the moments. And even when I stumbled on my words or whatever, it was the moments where I spoke with like raw truth and clarity from the heart that stuck with people the most. And like, that is the biggest lesson I've learned. It's like, you don't have to make it look a certain way because you think other people need it to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is really tap into like, what is, what is meant to be expressed from you? What business idea is meant to be expressed? Not the business idea that you think you should do. It's the business idea that you, that's coming up from your heart. Like everything, like we do so much just to be performative about it and be like, oh, like I should do this because this makes sense instead of like, what does the world, like, what do I actually want to share with the world and go from there? Because that has the most power. I've done it both ways. And I can tell you that the second way is much more impactful. Well, also, yeah, whenever you're speaking from the heart, it lands for people, you know, like people and people can sense when you're speaking from the heart or whether you're reading from a script and just, you know, like I feel even, even when I did my podcast, like I remember when I first started the first 10 episodes, I wrote out like every single word I was going to say on the podcast, (laughs) like everything was scripted. And I mean, I followed most of it. And then now in season two, like I mean, it wasn't okay. It was, it was scripted some of it, but in season two, I've decided I'm going to write out the question. I'm not even going to write many bullet points about what I'm going to say because what I'm going to say is going to come like it's going to come from the heart. It's going to come in the moment. I don't need to like write it out all perfectly of what I need to say back to the guest and what I have, what the, what are the points that I need to say? So I do think that's important. I agree. That's huge. Speaking from the heart and not, not everything needs to be scripted and like perfectly said, like some, it's actually better when it's not. Yes, exactly. And when you you asked about like, how do you manage your perfectionism when it starts to creep up? It's like, I actually just have started taking risks that scare me and make me vulnerable. And then I see what happens. Like I get feedback from the outside world of what Mm -hmm. happens when I take that risk and I don't try to make it perfect. And that feedback is almost always positive and it encourages me to continue taking risks and not be perfect. And the more you continue to do that, it's like a feedback loop. And I just keep doing that, like putting myself more and more out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. and seeing that it's okay to not be perfect. And then like continuing to live from the heart. But you have to take that first step of, of putting yourself out there and not like being able to manage everything and control everything. Like perfectionists want to control so that they know that nothing's going to go off track. Yeah. I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Like we over-prepare so that we're like, Like, it's too much. It's too much. It's no, it's no way to run a business. It's so much harder. Like it's, you make your life twice as hard uh, at least. Whereas if you can let go and trust yourself, I think it all comes back to self-trust. You just have to trust that what comes to you in the moment 
is what is meant to come out of your mouth if you're leading a podcast or public speaking or like what's coming to you as your business idea trust that you can implement it if that's if it came to you as an idea it's yours to implement you are the best person for it and that's another like tidbit on imposter syndrome because i got the idea through during a meditation to start women's work yeah. and I wrote it all down and i was like i have no experience doing this i have no business doing this i cannot do this like i had all these reasons as to why i wasn't qualified and then after two months of thinking about it, I was like, fuck it. I'm going for it. I'm doing it. I have no business doing it, but I'm just going to put myself out there for the first time and do something imperfectly. And like, that's kind of how I started the process of getting over my, that imposter syndrome. I, yeah, I wanted to share, like, first of all, I'm so proud of you for taking that leap and look how successful it's been. Um, Thank you. But I think... When I, when I was talking about the perfectionism that I had, like I remember, yeah, like I would have a hard time even like putting out my hand and like asking questions or saying something wrong, like all those things, right? And with work, like when I decided to become an entrepreneur at 24, like that actually was that moment of making that decision to go for something, even if it fails, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I think that really pushed me and helped me kind of move past my perfectionism because I'm like, you cannot jump into this arena and like start a business, take this risk and expect things to go perfectly. And that was a huge moment for me, just like for you, like starting uh, women's work, like you just can't be attached to it being perfect because it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go smoothly and perfectly all the time. Oh my God, that's such a good point. Exactly. I literally did that to help myself get over my perfectionism. I was like, I'm so sick of my perfectionism that I'm just going to launch this and whatever happens, like happens. Well, I'm so proud of you too. That's so huge. It's such a big deal. It's like to someone who doesn't have perfectionism, it probably doesn't seem like a big deal. (laughs) But for those of us who struggle with it, it's like, it's like your world is ending when you do that. Like yeah. you put yourself out there and you're like, I cannot control what other people are going to say or think or feel about me. Yeah. That's terrifying. Totally. But it's so worth it. And, and I know you've worked, you've surrounded yourself with some really inspiring and powerful mentors along the way. Um, I know that you've worked with Mindset Coach. You've worked, you've done a lot, a lot of deep work and um, you've had a, a really great support system. And how, so how has this helped you on your journey and what has, what has, what has the what impact has it had on you moving through all of this and also starting your own business? I truly don't think I could have done any of this without a guide, without somebody to see me from the outside and see see the highest version of myself. And I'm not even talking just about the mindset coach. I'm talking about like the people in my orbit that I started to surround myself by who saw me not as everything that I lacked, but everything, all of my potential. They saw all of my potential. They saw what was possible for me. And I started to kind of believe, I kind of had to borrow other people's belief in me to get started and to to navigate the total existential crisis I would have as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. They say they say starting a business is personal development with a paycheck. And it's so true. Like being an entrepreneur is challenging on the deepest of levels. Yeah. Um, so I was really forced to level up my internal world and like how I looked at myself and how deeply I went internally in order to be successful in my business. They were so inextric- inextricably linked. So 
Catherine Farkason, my mindset coach, has guided me the past two and a half years Mm -hmm. through all of this, um, through her coaching programs. And my therapist, who who was on your podcast a few weeks ago, and I love her, Kathy Yu, like all of these people, and Jody Larry, who you also interviewed, they all have different schools of thought around what the methodology is to get you to uncover the blocks that are stopping you from achieving your highest potential. And so like the, the combination of those three different avenues really helped me get to like the root of what was blocking me and helped me see my see my potential and and navigate through it with grace <clears throat> and achieve be things beyond my wildest dreams and like the power of support network and a community and people that think like you or think like you want to think mm-hmm. that's the key is like getting those people into your life and For sure. it's such a like, game changer the five people that you surround yourself what's that quote the five the five people that you surround yourself with on a daily basis have the biggest impact like your friend friendships i guess it could be mentors too but yeah i can definitely relate and agree that having mentors, having guides and having people in your orbit that are supportive and that can help you um, see things from a different perspective and guide you is so, so key. Like there's no way I would even be where I'm at now if I didn't have the support of the people that I've surrounded myself with, including my friends, including you, including all the people that I bring into my life and that I hang out with. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's so true. Friends are a big one too. We need to be really careful about who yeah. we choose to let into our friend orbit, I think. Definitely. More so now, especially if you're achieving big things. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, girl. I am so, so happy that you came on to talk. And like, like I said, again, this is a very vulnerable topic. And I just love how you showed up and like brought your whole self to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure that our listeners got so much out of this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for giving me the space to open up about it. And like, yeah, you got to practice what you preach, man. (laughs) I'm like an open book now. I definitely was not like this a year ago. So it's been cool to see that transition. And with you being one of my best friends, it's been amazing to have you guide me along too. So you've really honestly inspired me like your transformation i'm just going to say this on the podcast because i've said it to you but everyone needs to know in the last year and a half has been just unbelievable like it's inspired me to level up like i'm not even joking like your whole journey has been such an inspiration for me so thank you thank you you're killing it too this is what happens when you surround yourself with amazing people it's true We'll talk soon. And once again, you are listening to the Sculpture Life podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, share it with a friend, family, or coworker, and I'll be back next week with our next guest. Mm-hmm.